This episode of Diffusion Science Radio is supported by you, the listener, when you visit audibletrial.com science to try Audible for free for 30 days. Go to www.audibletrial.com science to receive your audiobook today or make a donation directly on www.diffusionradio.com. The International Science Radio Show. We have a bouncer on the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we 3D print spare parts in Western Sydney. But first up, here's the news. Budget Blues. The Australian federal budget was released last week with cuts of over $900 million to scientific research. The flagship Commonwealth Science and Industrial Research Organisation, CSIRO, had already lost 400 jobs in the lead-up to the budget, with another 300 planned by the end of the year. Now there'll be an extra 500 full-time jobs cut from CSIRO for a total of 1,200 jobs lost since the election. The CSIRO budget was cut $111 million. The CSIRO chief executive says they will reduce or abandon research in radio astronomy, neuroscience and clinical medicine, liquid fuel, carbon capture and storage, sensor development, geothermal energy and urban water. Radio astronomy is an odd one to reduce when Australia is still building the Square Kilometre Array telescope. The Square Kilometre Array gets just a year of continued funding. The Australian Research Council will lose $75 million. The Defence Science and Technology Organisation will lose $120 million. The Australian Institute of Marine Science will lose $80 million. The Australian Renewable Energy Agency is completely cut with a savings of $352 million. The Carbon Capture and Storage flagship is completely cut for $163 million. The Cooperative Research Centres program, partnering with industry, will be cut by $80 million. The Australian Climate Change Science Program is cut by $22 million and then absorbed into a new National Environmental Science Program. So with the total loss of over $900 million of science funding, a new investment fund will be set up with promises that the interest will be used to fund the establishment of a new National Institute for Dimension Research the expansion of the Australian Institute of Tropical Health and Medicine, and a doubling of the National Health and Medical Research Council's grants. The money for this $20 billion investment fund will be raised by new taxes on sick people. Full Immersion Virtual Reality Oliver Kralos at the University of California, Davis, has hooked up the virtual reality headset Oculus Rift with the video streams from three Xbox Connect cameras to bring a solid-looking representation of himself into virtual reality. In his telepresent 3D capture space, 
The three Xbox Connect cameras are positioned in an equilateral triangle to accurately capture him from all directions. Kralos writes in his blog at dococ.org that despite the low resolution, it feels very real, because movement is very lifelike. Previous virtual reality systems have suffered from latency, a slowness in the generation of the graphics that breaks the illusion and makes many users sick. By connecting the Kinect cameras directly, Kralos has been able to avoid that problem. He writes on his blog that when he waves his hands in front of his face in virtual reality, they feel like his real hands. I'll embed his YouTube video on www.diffusionradio.com. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. 3D printing is additive manufacturing, as layers of plastic are melted onto the last layer, or powder is melted onto a previous layer, or a liquid plastic is solidified by laser. There are many different techniques. Each layer is built up in a computer-controlled desktop manufacturing process to produce a customised three-dimensional object. Stuart Grover is owner-partner of 3D Printing Studios. His first studio opened last year at The Rocks near the Sydney Central Business District, and now he's opening a new studio in Parramatta in Western Sydney. Soon he'll be opening a third studio in Perth in Western Australia. I visited the new studio in Parramatta for a sneak peek while it was still being made ready for Wednesday's grand opening. You can hear staff moving things around in the background. We've had incredible demand in the, in the rocks and you know we had a lot of people that were travelling out from west side to come into the city. So what we're doing here is basically give them a lot easier access to the technology out west. And then similarly in Perth, you know, we've had quite a lot of interested people from Perth looking to get prints done and shipping them across to Perth is a bit of a delay there. So we kind of figured we'll set one up in Perth and use that as a, as a bit of a hub for the west side of Australia. Makes a lot of sense. And your studio here is right in front of the train station and the bus intersection. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's very accessible. We have a lot of, a lot of people that walk past the front door every day. So... A lot more traffic than what we had down in the rocks, which gives a lot more people the opportunity to see the technology firsthand. Yeah, so you can get people coming straight off the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the idea with this uh, studio is that we try and make it a bit of an experience. So there's 3D scanners, 3D printers, there's designers on hand, and people can really touch and feel the technology up close. So just come in off the street and have a go. Are you going to be partnering with local schools and the University of Western Sydney? Yes, we are. Yes, I'm actually uh, hosting an event uh, next Friday with uh, young entrepreneurs through the University of West Sydney. And uh, yeah, already we've been invited to a load of uh, sort of local events. And really, that's the beauty of the technology. It's very local. You know, we print things locally for local people with their local needs and we can uh, help out local groups as well at the same time. And you've also got an interest in being close to Westmead Hospital. 
That's right, yeah. Westmead, uh, we had a number of the surgeons and doctors come see us in the rocks talking about innovations, ideas they've got for using bioprinting and for using uh, 3D printing, more traditional uh, metal laser sintering, titanium, for uh, prosthetic uh, maxillofacial parts and also for um, artificial joints. So, um, you know, being close to Westmead is great. And will you be able to print those sort of prosthetics with the equipment that you're moving in here today? No, those kind of, the titanium prosthetics we're going to be printing out at our more industrial facility, which is a little bit further out west. The reason being that they're quite large machines requiring three-phase power, so they're not as friendly to the kind of shop location. But they're only, you know, 20-minute drive uh, away, so uh, we can control the printers quite easily. What are the different types of materials that you'll be able to print in this new studio? I've had a lot of people curious about what sort of materials you can print in and how strong they are and how they compare to traditional sort of things. Okay, yeah, so in terms of the strength, uh, we, have, uh, we have a load of materials which are, um, replicate the strength of, say, currently injection moulded parts. SLS printing of nylon, for example, is very strong and it's comparable to what you would get from an injection moulded part. Yeah, there's been a real evolution with the materials recently. Um, there's a lot of new plastics, new polymers, which are replicating the properties of injection moulded parts and uh, a range of metals as well available, stainless steel, titanium is a very popular one for printing in Australia. Um, the idea with titanium is that... Uh, uh, you know, we can mine the titanium here, we can process it to a point and we can 3D print it here. So we can do the whole end-to-end uh, manufacturing here in Australia rather than traditionally what we've done is dig out the titanium out of the ground, send it to China and then it comes back as a, as a finished part. And so the, most of the things in the studio here will be some form of plastic or, or polymer and the titanium ones will be in the ones that are out in the suburbs? That's correct, yeah. The, the machines which are uh, run the titanium are large three-phase power machines and they don't really lend themselves to this kind of environment. But yeah, we, we do run a couple of those and yeah, they do suit that kind of more industrial area. I've seen some of the American ones say that they're printing in ceramics. Is that actually ceramic? Uh, there's a printer that's due to be released in the next few months uh, which does actually print in ceramics and then it's later fired in a kiln. So yes, that is a ceramic. That one, there's very little details about it currently, but um, it was one that they kind of released the market in about January time in terms of they let people know about it in January. So it's a bit of a wait and see at the moment as to how that turns out, but it looks promising. I thought I'd seen one of the American shops selling something already like mugs and, and things like that. So maybe it was a different type of material. Yeah, so we've got uh, two Z-Corp machines which print in a, a, it's kind of a ceramic, it's basically a plaster of Paris. And uh, the parts come out, they're quite brittle, but they're very good for kind of modelling things like mugs and things like that. We, they, we tend to infuse them with uh, resin to actually make them hard, so then you can use them every day. Um, that technology's been around for about 15 years, 20 years. Uh, beauty of that technology, the Z-Corp technology, is that you can print in full colour. So we use it for, say, 3D uh, topographical maps of landscapes. We use it for um, 3D scans of people. So we'll scan somebody and then 3D print a colour version of them. 
So it's got plenty of applications, and that technology has been around for a little while. It's not strictly ceramic, though. <laughs> Look, you know, in terms of the technology that's available to us, it's fantastic. The growth and the rate and, and the options that are available. Uh, I guess what we've sided with at the moment, there are, in total, there's about 14 different 3D printing technologies. We've gone for five of them. So whereas a traditional home printer, you've really only got the one option, you know, the, a small printer has limited capability, and, but can print some stuff for you. Here, we've got five options on the table. And with the rise of those home printers getting cheaper and cheaper, do you think it'll give people enough practice with 3D design that they'll then want to take their designs onto the sort of higher grade printers that you have in the studios? Hopefully, yeah. I mean, that's the idea. If you look at the evolution of, say, paper-based printing, 2D printing, um, you know, there are very, very capable home-based 2D printers. And, you know, you might, say, do a design for a flyer or a brochure at home and print it on your home printer. But then when you actually come to get the brochure you want to send out, you go to a print shop. And I imagine it would be very, very similar in the future with 3D printing. You know, you'll do a design... You'll then refine it at home using your home printer. And then once you're happy with it, you'll then come into a print shop like this, hopefully, you know, locally, local to you, and uh, and then print it in the kind of higher quality materials and, a, you know, a bit more variety of what's available to you. And what sort of things do people come in to... Well, you haven't opened this one yet. You've got your, your rocks one first. Um, what sort of things do people come in and want to print? What are the sort of things you're expecting your clients will want to print? I mean, this is a million-dollar question. It's unbelievable the amount of interest that we've got. Uh, you know, I always say if you give a 1,000 people a 3D printer, you get a 1,000 different ideas for what, what they can produce with it, and that's very true. Um, you know, the low-hanging fruit from a business perspective for us has always been architectural models. Uh, you know, it's, it kind of makes sense to print them. Uh, it's a lot cheaper, a lot faster than current techniques. But, you know, even architectural models still probably only represent 10 or 15% of our customer base. The other eighty-five uh, percent goes under the category of other, <laughs> you know, and it makes it very difficult from a planning perspective. But just to give you an idea, you know, one week we might be doing something for a movie, like a prop or um, some characters to go with a movie. The next minute, you know, we're printing Hill's voice parts, or you know, we're printing medical app app apparatus or instruments, and uh, you know, everything in between. It's just so wide and varied, which is, kind of makes it cool from a working here point of view you know that's what i sell it to my uh, <laughs> my uh, people with you know every day's different and every job's different and you actually have industrial designers in the store to work with people as they come off the street yeah i mean traditionally 3d printers have been kind of industrial facilities so there's an arm's length between the designer and then the final printing uh, what we wanted to do here was completely uh, get rid of that and actually offer an end-to-end -end service. So an inventor will come to us and they'll literally have a, a scrap of paper with a few diagrams on it. And our job is really to turn that into something physical for them. So in the past, with, as I said, kind of traditional 3D printers, they would have had to go through the process of getting a design done, getting it, making it print ready, and then just sending that file to an industrial printer, give them a quote, and then they'd print it. We're actually taking on the whole end-to-end -end process, right from inception through to the print, and then hopefully to helping them through the manufacturing process as well. And for our non-Australian listeners, a heels hoist is actually a way to dry your clothes on a sort of a circular rack out the back of your house in the backyard. What sort of parts can you produce for those? 
I mean, really, we can produce any part. I guess cost is a factor. But, uh, you know, we've had examples where um, the gears on the hill's hoist have shredded. And uh, there's quite a lot of force at play. So we've, what we've done is we've uh, taken the shredded gear and we've 3D scanned it and we've fixed it on the screen. And then we've 3D printed replacements for those. And, uh, you know, people... Uh, Hills Hoist is an iconic brand for Australia. And people love their Hills Hoist washing lines. And very often they're 30, 40 years old. So getting replacement parts from them is tough. And uh, hopefully we give them an alternative to throwing it away and buying a new one. Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. My family showed me that their Hills Hoist has the little end caps broken a little bit. So if you have something like that, that's just a little cap like you get on the end of a of an ironing board or anything, it's just the bit that stops you getting poked in the eye, I guess. Yeah. It's pretty simple. So would you scan that and fix it in software? Uh, we can do, yeah. With something like this, we'd probably CAD model it um, from scratch. It is a very, it's a very simple little cap. So uh, it should be very easy to just replicate on the screen without actually going through the scanning process. We tend to scan things, like I said, the cogs, which are kind of complicated to 3D design from scratch. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, you know, things that are relatively simple, we, we tend to just model from scratch. So if people were trying to get the cogs on their hills hoist replaced, what's the sort of cost of that? Because this is a whole new manufacturing process and most people don't have any idea. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I mean, currently today, the cost is in the reverse engineering, the, the design. So it's actually the scanning and then the getting the print ready far. Um, once we have that already in our database of you know replacement parts, then the printing itself is probably only $20, $30. Uh, but it might cost you eighty, a hundred dollars to get that that far. So I guess what we're trying to do um, is build up that database of replacement parts, so that when somebody calls up and says, "Oh, look, my hills hoist is broke," or you know, my uh, uh, my knob on my air conditioning, my Toyota Hilux is gone, we have a design file that we can just print directly from, and therefore, you know, it keeps the cost low for the consumer. Are there copyright issues there? No. <laughs> the law is a bit slower uh, catching up with uh, the technology as always the case it's playing a catch up game there's something called the spare parts legislation which was put in place in the 80s I think or the 70s to encourage aftermarket parts for cars and uh, we're pretty much using the same law here so uh, as long as we don't replicate the whole Hills Hoist washing line or the whole Toyota Hilux as long as we're only replicating spare parts for it, we're okay, I think. <laughs> I suppose that goes for anything someone would want to scan that they would bring in and want to scan and redesign in the studio. That's right, yeah. yeah. So we get them, you know, every day people come through the door with their broken parts and some of them are just economically inviable. You know, we just, it's just not worth, they may as well go out and buy a new one. But, uh, you know, as the cost of the technology, the scanning technology comes down and as the the capability of it improves, then uh, it certainly becomes a lot more cost-effective for people. Is there any really unusual, interesting sort of things that people have asked you to print up on your 3D printers or prototype and print up? Yeah, we get those all the time. It's, it's crazy. Somebody came in the other day with a, um, a carrier bag and uh, I think they're an artist and, and they basically love the shape of the carrier bag when it's kind of crumpled up. So they wanted us to um, 3D scan this carrier bag, plastic carrier bag, and, uh, and 3D print a replica of it, 
which is kind of bizarre, but yeah, I mean, it can be done and we do it. So would that end up being like a mesh bag or, or what sort of, what would the bag, I'm trying to think, what would the fabric or the material, the material look like? Yeah, I mean, for that one, we actually scaled it down and we printed it in a, he wanted that shape to be maintained. So we printed it in a thicker nylon material. Um, so it, it's a very artistic piece. It's then mounted and shown on display. Um, yeah, I mean, to, it wouldn't make sense to 3D print a bag <laughs> to, uh, today anyway. And what about clothes and shoes? Yeah, so uh, well, this, this area is increasing rapidly. It's, uh, February was New York Fashion Week. And um, if you actually look at the models walking up and down the catwalk there, there was so much 3D printed stuff on show. And that's kind of filtered down now. So we're getting calls all the time from fashion uh, designers, fashion students that now want to 3D print their clothes and 3D print their footwear. And there's still a learning curve to go with it. Um, but there's obviously material limitations as well. The material seems to be quite rigid, which is fine for a supermodel walking down a catwalk. But for every you know, average person, it's still a little bit uncomfortable to wear. We're still probably 10, 15 years away from the point where we're 3D printing our own clothes and our own footwear. But there's examples all the time. You know, Nike, I think it's Nike, one of the major manufacturers are 3D printing um, custom spikes for their athletes. So the idea being, instead of them going and buying a size eight or a size 10 running spike, the, uh, the sole and the bed is actually custom made for them and their particular running style. So eventually that'll filter down to us, eventually. <laughs> and you run 3D workshops as well. What sort of computer-aided design software are you teaching people to learn? So in the workshops, we teach Tinkercad, which is a web-based piece of software. The beauty of that piece of software is there's nothing to download. So you constantly get the latest version. It's all web-based. Um, great little bit of software quite powerful and something we can teach within the three hour window that we get for the workshop we also teach sculptress which is a um, 3d organic modeling so say if you do designs for the movies or you're doing designs as an artist and you want organic modeling which is kind of you know curves and shapes that uh, almost like you start with a plasticine base and you mold into the shape you want it um, Sculptress is great for that. Uh, we teach that. And uh, we use SolidWorks predominantly in-house, which is very much for kind of geometric engineering type 3D design. Yeah, they're our kind of main pieces of software that we teach. And if people were to design something at home and send it to you, what sort of file formats would they need? So if it's just a, a single colour, a single material, then STL is the norm. So uh, it says file format. It's been around since 1986. It's uh, used pretty much across the board. Um, there's a bunch of other file formats you can use. Uh, if you need a color print, for example, you want a 3D uh, print of yourself in full color. Uh, PLY or VRML files are good. But we pretty much take any CAD file and then convert it into a printable format. But the beauty of the software nowadays is that most software will export to a 3D printable format. You know, 3D printing is an incredible technology and it's something that I really encourage everybody to get involved with. And it's, you know, 3D design uh, in the future is going to be a, a skill which is very valuable. You know, as we get to a point where we can print, you know, pretty much anything, 
we're still a long way away from that point but once we get to that point then it's really the ideas it's the designs that will have the value in the future so i'm encouraging people as many people as possible to get out there learn 3d design and uh, give it a go yourself and where should they look for you online particularly the Parramatta store so 3dprintingstudios.com.au. We also on Meetup as well. So if you're interested in 3D printing, want to come down and check out some printers or talk about 3D printing, come to one of the meetups. So if you just uh, go to meetup.com and search 3D printing, you'll find us. And the grand opening of the Parramatta Studio is when? Uh, Wednesday the 21st of May at uh, 5.30. So we've got the Mayor of Parramatta coming down to do the opening. A uh, bunch of media as well, and it'll be great to see as many people down here as possible. Well, Stuart Grover, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ian. That was Stuart Grover of 3D Printing Studios, speaking to me at the new Parramatta Studio on Monday, as it was being finished ahead of Wednesday's opening. Stuart kindly offered to model and print my parents' broken hills hoist arm ends on his 3D printers. You can find the Parramatta Studio at 16 Darcy Street, opposite Parramatta Railway Station. You can find out more at www.3dprintingstudios.com.au. You can hear my previous interview with Stuart on how the International Space University sparked his interest in 3D printing on the September 9th, 2013 episode, 4D Printing and Caring for Carers, on www.diffusionradio.com. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement, and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know that you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Checking production this week was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and 2HHH in Hornsby, Karingai. Diffusion is syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. You can now hear Diffusion on Stitcher, radio on demand and on the go. Download the free app from stitcher.net and review Diffusion. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And please check the website for more information about this week's show. You support Diffusion by downloading a free book from Audible. Audible will sponsor Diffusion for everyone who signs up to the free 30-day trial and downloads the free audiobook of their choice from audibletrial.com science. Or look for the donate button on www.diffusionradio.com to contribute to the costs of producing the podcast. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Looking at the URL... 
The first thing that sticks out is the colon. And how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes? To complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound. www.diffusionradio.com Lachlan Watmore on guitar. Ha, 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 ha.